Scott Bass, we have Real Water Sports with us today, um, and they're right kind of in the middle of a big sale, the Shred Sale. Oh, wow. <clears throat> the Shred Sale. I like it. It's time to buy. Back to Shred, like back to school, but back to Shred. And um, I just clicked on the link. Just among the many offerings, there are um, there's a Rawson Cheater 5 7 for 24% off. Uh, wow. Christensen 5-4 Fish for 12% off. Rawson Nova Twin 6-0, 42% off, equivalent to $500 off. So smoking wow. deals. That sounds like one I might want to get. The Nova Twin by Rawson. Um, these, sounds killer. At these prices, honestly, it's cheaper than you can get direct from the shapers. Uh, so... These are the best deals on the web, I'd say. And they can ship them to you no matter where you are in the world for one flat low fee. Um, so even if you pay that flat low fee, it's still way less than you could buy these boards anywhere else. So go check them out. Just peruse and see uh, if there's anything that suits you. I feel like there's yeah, there's like 12 pages worth of discounts. So surfboards, traction, all that sort of stuff. So it's definitely worth poking through. Yeah, and you know, it's funny when I think about seasons for buying surfboards, I think about two seasons. One season is spring right now because everyone's gearing up for the summer, for south swells, for going on surf trips. School is getting out for a lot of people and they're planning things. And now's the time and they've got the shred sale going on at Real Water Sports. The other season is the fall in October. And that's because everyone's gearing up for, first of all, great fall surf. And of course, then the wintertime as it rolls through. So it seems like spring and fall are ideal uh, times to buy surfboards. And right now we've got the shred sale on at Real Water Sports. So, you know, the question is real simple. Why wouldn't you? Great point. Back to shred at realwatersports.com. Thanks for being a great partner of the show and offering this great service to, to our listeners. I know I've gotten lots of great feedback from listeners who have purchased boards from. So realwatersports.com. See some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, God. Yeah, God, David. Uh, it is a yeah, God morning. If there is such a thing, it's Tuesday and it is uh, April 25th. And uh, this is Spit, all things surf. We're talking and uh, David Lee Scales and Scott Bass with you. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. Uh, looks like you're in a slightly different studio environment. I've never seen that surfboard that's behind you on the wall. Oh, yeah. You... Um I have moved. I had to do some feng shui stuff going down here. At, I in, see uh, my little home office, and that is a free line, a board that was the winner of the shape off icons of foam shape off that we did in Santa Cruz. I believe it was 2016, and that's a John Mel um, knee board. Turns out surfboards from Santa Cruz. So I am mistaken. I have, in fact, seen that board before then. I saw it shaped at the boardroom show in 2016. That's right. That's the winning board that was shaped by our friend uh, Nick Palandrani from Source Surfboards up in Santa Cruz. 
and John Mel is Pete Mel's father. For those right. who don't know, legendary Santa Santa Cruz uh, shaper and businessman um, John Mel, and you you may or may not know this. I think you do know this because you've been to Kauai a couple of times. But Peter's Mel, I think it's David. Is it Dave Mel? I'm not sure. Anyway, he's got he's got a brother that's a really good shaper uh, on Kauai. Um, Peter Mel's brother, and I hope I'm not butchering his name, but I believe it's Dave David Mel. That sounds right. I forget, but that sounds right. I should probably look it up. It's pretty lame <laughs> not to, to know. Um, how do you get the boards that are shaped at the boardroom show? I know how you get them, but these do end up in other people's homes as well, don't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, the winning board, the the boardroom show gets the winning board from each shape off. Is that if that what you're asking? The other boards, um, if you're if you buy into the VIP dinner, you get one of the first eight, eight boards shaped in round one of the shape off. And the VIP dinner this year is with Bing Copeland. And you get an incredible three course meal from uh, chef uh, Kevin over at um, ranch 45. And, um, and yeah, so in addition to get one of the shaped planks, it's a smoking deal. So, and it's a one of a kind board because obviously it's a iconic shaper who is trying to replicate a f- even more iconic, we could say, shapers boards. Um, this year, obviously, Bing Copeland is the guy that they're trying to replicate. But yeah, that's pretty, pretty rad one off boards. Pay for dinner, get a free, not a free, but you get included uh, shaped surfboard. So, not finished, but shaped. Yeah, yeah not glassed. You, you have to pay for the glassing, but yeah. And so last year, it was Timmy Patterson and the guys uh, got one of the Edlo models shaped by one of the eight shapers in the competition. And as you mentioned this year, it's Bing Copeland. We don't reveal which boards are going to be um, attempted to be replicated by the shapers in the competition until the day of the event. So um, no one knows, but the tickets for that VIP dinner will be on sale, you know, in the summertime. Yeah. Well, I, I would, uh, encourage you to wax that board up behind you and take that thing out. No it's section hanging really on the cool. wall, dude. I know. I, I'm, I know my son's been wanting to wax it up and it's, it's a cool ass board. Does it have glass on? Four, five, six. No, I think it's got future fins. Hold on. Let me see. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's got futures. Got it. it. Well, yeah. NBS can hook us up with a set of fins for you. Um, they already well, have. I've got so many great. I've got some great NVS keel fins. Perfect. I have yet to even put in a board. I need to get it going. Um, well, hey, Margaret River started since we last recorded and uh, ran a couple of days of competition. You gave us the forecast last week, and you said the day of days was going to take place before the event window, the day before the event window, and then it had a really strong forecast. Um, what are your What's your update on the forecast? Yeah, so my update is I would be surprised if they run this event uh, until their Friday, which would be our Thursday afternoon. So here in North America, I anticipate Thursday afternoon, you know, around four o'clock in the late afternoon, them getting a a start on the finals day. Uh, It looks like it's going to be pumping. It looks like the wind is going to be great. And uh, it's going to be much like it has been, like pretty damn contestable solid, really good main break Margaret River. And uh, I anticipate, I mean, we've seen some pretty insane surfing, I got to say. 
specifically from John, John, mm. like next level, next level, like his last heat, which he surfed against Matthew McGillivray and nothing, not taking anything away from Matthew's great surfing, but you talk about separating yourself from the rest of the pack. It was so obvious how much better of a surfer John John Florence is as far as engaging his rail throughout the entire turn with just an insane amount of power. John John, I know a lot of people realize this, but if you don't, let me tell you, John John's got some th- uh, thick trunks, man. He, he's got thick legs and, th- and you know, a powerful lower body. And he just absolutely wraps the entire rail through each and every turn, or if he's going up for a big drop wall at hack. The thing about John John is it's always rail and it's always 95% of the rail buried into the turn and it's throughout the turn. And I was thinking earlier, David, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. You know, I, I was thinking sort of to myself when I was out in the water surfing, I was like, how important is spray? to the judges and to you and me when we see it and to the average surfer. And I will tell you that I think there's two different types of spray. I think there's fin spray, which is cool and actually looks really good. And, and sometimes is even more spray than a rail spray. And then there's rail spray, which is like a full buried rail roundhouse. And then there's a combination of both, which is fin and rail spray. And when you see John John surfing, you're seeing both fin and rail spray. And uh, I think it's just, it's mesmerizing. And, and, and it also makes, I see a heat like I saw against, uh, when he surfed against Matthew. And I say to myself, we don't need 24 people. <laughs> like we just don't. It's obvious who the top 12 guys are. And um and maybe you could take the top, the bottom six and intersperse them with some other six, but the I, top six guys, we know who they are. That's key. The top six, we know who they are. The next six, we are less certain on who they are, but there's 12 of them that could filter in and out of that second six at any given event. But the top six, we absolutely already know. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I was looking at the cut line. And if you look at the women's cut, you're like, that's solid. That is a solid group of 12 girls. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the men's and you're like, where's the equality? Why don't <laughs> they just make the men's 12? I have totally. no idea why they don't just make the men's 12. There are 12 solid surfers that we could put in there. And like yeah. you just mentioned, and I mentioned, we could switch out the the bottom six yeah. at the cut. Why don't they make the cut 12 and 12? Yeah. Well, let me go back to what you're talking about with John, John and him standing apart. Um, well, and just him being a great surfer. Yeah. So yes, entirely. Uh, Let me address the spray first, I guess I'm trying to collect all the thoughts that I had while you were talking the spray. Also, there's an additional factor, uh, to what you're talking about, which is it's a result of timing and, or, kind of brute force, you know? And so you do see versions, especially backhand surfers. Uh, Yago Dora, I was thinking like when he got his big nine point, whatever ride, he just, he uh, timed it so perfectly that it's like the lip is 
pitching at the exact kind of perfect degree and his power is meeting that lip with the perfect degree and that kind of sends the spray more upright like more like a christmas tree shape you know as opposed mm-hmm. to john john doing the big open face turn where he's not really meeting the lip necessarily it's just his brute force that's blowing the spray out the back of the wave um or off i guess the face of the wave even so those are two different types of sprays that you can throw but um what I liked about John John surfing in this event was we saw him redefine how to surf main break four years ago or five years ago. And then each year show up and do it again and again and again. And that was done originally in double overhead surf. It was bigger surf than we've seen in this event. And what I've seen him do in this event that's additional to that is because it's a little bit smaller timing it and hitting the lip. So that first big open face turn, but then the second turn is more into the lip and it's more of like a searing blast against the lip. And there is sometimes a little bit of, um, like, you know, set the friends fins free a little bit. And that I don't remember him doing five years ago when it was double the size. So I love seeing that because it is a point of difference. You know, if he just kept doing the same turn year after year after year, there is, it becomes redundant. And I think it scores lower each year adding that extra pizzazz looks sparky like it's faster it's searing and it's like a real exclamation point after that first big open turn which we've come to expect we still want him to do it but he's adding a point of difference to his surfing yeah i mean you nailed it right i mean um like i said it there's just the um delineation between him and Matthew, it was just obvious. I mean, especially if you watch the back half of the heat, John was at that point just sitting there and Matthew was taking off of wave after wave after wave. And there was just no way he was going to be able to match what John John had just done. It's just not in his structure as a physically, you well, know? So Matthew aside, you said John delineated yeah. himself from almost everybody. Who are the other people in this event currently that you feel kind of are could find themselves in the final giving John a run for his money. Well, first of all, if you look at the quarterfinal heats, they're, they're really, really good because you've got John up against Ethan Ewing, who obviously could easily beat John Florence. Um, Might not have quite the power that John has, but replaces that with perhaps a little more spark and just a touch more smooth style perhaps. But I mean, regardless, the point is that's a great heat. Like to me, that is just an insanely good heat. Then you've got Felipe versus Gabe in the, in one of the other quarterfinals, quarterfinal number one, to be specific. That's going to be an incredible heat because first of all, you got two Brazilians who you kind of would hope there was a rivalry there. I don't know if there is, but you would think that, I don't know, are those guys buddies or what's your sense with them? Uh, I think that they are friendly compatriots, but I do not feel like they are personal buddies. I don't feel like there's any bad blood. Yeah. They don't necessarily hang out with each other the way other Brazilians do on tour. Right. That's kind of a good thing. I think. Then you look at quarterfinal number two, Jao Chianca, who's just a mad bull, uh, who can, I think, match John John's power quotient, but lacks some of the polish and uh, Jow surfs against Connor O'Leary, who's just having a great 
event and just smashing it backside. And, um, and then the final quarterfinal heat is another very interesting heat. Griffin Colapinto, who's got to be the heavy favorite here versus Baron Mamiya, who is kind of quietly just ripping through this event. So I honestly could say that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if any of these eight guys wins the event. Um, but what we're looking at here is, is a John John versus Jow or John John versus Philippe and Gabe final, which I think would be incredible. I, so it would surprise me if a few of those people won the event, it would surprise me if Connor O'Leary won. It would surprise me if, um, Baron, Baron won. It would also yeah. surprise me if Griffin won. It would surprise me if Gabe won, oh, to be perfectly honest. But Say that again. It would surprise you what? If Gabe won. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So, and let me go to the beginning though, because you said you could easily see yeah. Ethan beating John John and you gave Ethan a couple points of distinction, style being one mm -hmm. of them. I disagree with all that. I think Ethan can beat John, but it would be a reflection of John not doing what he's done in the previous heat that he did to Matthew McGillivray. Now, I agree mm -hmm. with you though, Ethan is phenomenally stylish. He's got all, I mean, everything other than John John's air game and big wave game, but out at main break, he's got a lot of the same assets that John John has, um, but not more so. Like there's not a point of distinction for Ethan over John. And so if yeah. John fumbles or, st I could see John getting a pair of nines and Ethan getting a pair of nines as well, but I still see John having more tools to kind of figure that heat out. But, yeah. you know, everybody has an off heat. And especially through the course of one event, you're liable to have one bad heat. And so you hope that, you know, this is a tight matchup. Um, John's hoping that it's Ethan having the bad heat in this in this matchup. Yeah. But what, what's interesting, when I look back at the event as a whole and people who have stood out, it's those two guys I could have pegged to win the event along with Felipe Toledo. And Felipe is an interesting case because we often don't give him credit where credit's due. Uh, this is a bigger wave, not a big wave venue, but this is a open ocean, more powerful style of wave. He's won this event in the past, yeah. you know, and, but we don't yeah. really quite remember that. We don't quite acknowledge that. And he came up against Jordy Smith and Jordy's a guy who has tons of power and you would expect to do well out there. And when I was watching them surf against one another, I thought, Felipe has just as much power as Jordy in these types of conditions. Again, if it was double the size like we've seen it in the past, I'd might bet on Jordy. But in these conditions, head high, kind of rippable sections once or twice along the wave, Felipe looks as powerful as Jordy out there. Yeah, there's no doubt. Let me let me say about that heat that, and you saw it too. Jordy Smith just doesn't finish his rides. Like his first two turns are sick, especially yeah, his first true. turn. Yeah. But he fumbles on that inside section and just, and it's frustrating. You, you, you tear your hair out. You're like, dude, just make the little end section. I know it's kind of a warbly one and it's, it, it does present challenges. You know, you've got to be in rhythm with it. But, um, I was kind of just, he could have beat Felipe if he just would have finished the waves. It's a great point. Jordy, 12 years into his career on tour, maybe more. I don't, I don't know exactly how long he's been on tour, but he still has holes in his game that are yeah not insignificant you know that heat was almost like a metaphor for his career great point wow well 
another detail that I could circle back to uh, four episodes ago, maybe we were talking about Stab's series, How Surfers Get Paid. And Jordy Smith opened up that episode talking about John John's John John deserves to get paid what he is, what he gets paid or has previously. Gabriel Medina, he's like, I'm not into it. Like Gabriel can't do a full rail turn. I've never seen him once. Think about it. And then they showed Gabe doing a rail turn, like kind of no, a top I don't turn. think that I don't think that was a rail turn. So I that's what I'm think, coming back to. Yeah. You and I had a debate on that episode, right? Yes. And, and you're like, we were like, well, was the editor trying to make Jordy's point for him by showing a not quite full rail turn? Or were, was that the best rail turn they could find? And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And so interestingly, the editor, Jamie Tierney is the guy who's editing that series. Jamie texted me that week and he goes, dude, it's funny that you and Scott mentioned that because I spent two and a half hours looking through Gabriel footage, trying to find him doing a big open face rail turn. And he goes, that's the best clip that I could find. So yes. the editor was not uh, manipulating anything at all. He was actually took Jordy's talking point and tried to find Gabriel to like prove almost Jordy wrong. Like, let me try to find Gabe doing a massive open face turn. And he's like, holy cow, I can't, Jordy's right. I cannot find it. Here's the best we got, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a great clip too by Jamie, because in some ways you have to really look at it and question the way you questioned it. Like, was he doing this or was the editor doing this? And it was just kind of in between so that you're not really sure what the editor was trying to convey here. Um, you know what I mean? It, it sort of left an open question, which I think was neat. Yeah. And to our point then, and I think now in this event still is his surfing is down the line. He's always kind of looking to the next thing. He's always looking to finish the wave as opposed to John, John teeing up a section and giving it all that he's got in that section. And there's been a lot of surfers in the past who give it all they got in that one section. And that's then all they got. Well, with John, John, he's giving all he's got to that one section and he comes out of it into a bottom turn and you're like, Oh, he's got more. And then he gives it all he's got into the next section. And then he's got more on the third. And that's what's spectacular. That's what sets him apart. So Gabriel cracking it, but then aiming to go more, go down the line. It's not living in the moment is kind of, it's almost like beyond surfing. It's this metaphysical thing that we want to live in the moment. You know, that's, that's enlightenment and Gabe's chasing past it. And speaking specifically to that last week, we talked about the Visla style, um, video contest and you and I both, and I think very discerning viewers, especially of competition surf, see Gabe eyeing up two sections down the line and it kind of turns us off and it does turn us off. You know, he's not living in the moment and that speaks, I think, to style or lack thereof. Cause I think guys with good style are very, very focused on and living in that Zen-like quality of the moment. Yeah. Being present. Right. And I mean, I'm going deep into that metaphysical kind of assessment, but, um, it's almost disingenuous. It feels disrespectful. Like if I'm as the viewer, (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> I'm the viewer and I'm like, you've got this beautiful section right in front of you. Just enjoy it, you know? And it's like, he's not fully enjoying the moment. And now I'm pissed at him because I wish I was there and I had that opportunity to enjoy, you know? Yeah. That's how it feels like deep down. Yeah, it does. It does feel like he's um, <clears throat> disrespecting us. I like that. That's, that is pretty deep. Though. That's pretty deep. I never uh, had the thought before. I'm kind of just developing it now, but I think it's accurate. Um, What do you think about the Zhao Chianka versus Conor O'Leary quarter? Look, I think Zhao is, there's a momentum taking place that is rare um, that you cannot deny. Like there's an energy behind Zhao and what's going on for him this season that Conor O'Leary would really have to put together two 9.5s to kind of impede. Yeah. Well, he kind of had a lackluster heat against, and I speak of Zhao Chianka versus Caleb Robson and, and still pulled it off. I think he won with two sevens or something, but he didn't look super sharp. He looked like, you know, just not quite there, but um, I agree with you. I, I Connor O'Leary is going to have to really pull out all the stops here. Yeah. And so that, that sets up Zhao versus Felipe, according to you. Yeah. Which is really interesting because I think Joao has a lot of the same um, approach and assets even that Felipe has. I think Felipe is a more developed surfer than Joao, but we've seen Felipe so often that it almost gives Joao an advantage because it's so fresh, you know? And there's also a freestyle jazz component to Joao's surfing. Whereas Felipe, we know what to expect already. We kind of see the note coming before he hits it. Joao, it's yeah. more radical, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's pretty good analysis right there. But, so but it's main, break, to be, yeah. main break nullifies some of that freestyle jazz, to be perfectly honest. Like there are three distinct sections. And so, and there's not a lot of variation from one wave to the next. So I think that kind of, you know, nullifies Joao's ability to fully, fully go um, freestyle. You know, like a carving 360 or something would be a, different. We haven't seen that really right. yet, but, but Joao, Joao, I think, um, if he goes, I mean, honestly, even if he goes toe to toe with Felipe playing Felipe's game, he could still take him. Like that's a pretty even matchup. So, but I'm going to bet on Joao. Yeah. Which, which by the well, way, last week we were talking about the losers league survival. And I said that I was going to pick, uh, Kayo Abeli based on our discussion. Uh-oh. Well, once yeah. I went, once I went to the site and actually went, I clicked Kayo and I was scrolling down to like click submit and I saw Joao's name and I realized I need Joao because <laughs> I, at Good the beginning you. of the season before Joao went on this run is when I made my spreadsheet. And so I haven't updated my spreadsheet to acknowledge his greatness this year. But in that moment I did, I picked Joao instead of Kayo. And thankfully I did because Kayo lost in the round of 32 and Joao made it through. So I'm still hanging on. Yeah, you are. Well, good, good. Um, speaking of the wave itself, uh, you know, all of us, as we watch this event, we see so many waves at main break and it, it's sort of like if you took big Southwell lowers and mixed it with big bells. That's kind of what main break reminds me of. It's two big turns and then an inside section that is kind of like bells, but the two outside sections remind me of, of big lowers. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, what about the box? Um, We 
talked about the we love obviously when they run portions of the event at the box and it really seems like they had opportunities i had a number of listeners message from the beach there and they're like dude the box is firing right now and they could be running heats yeah i think i I can't speak for them but i sense that that they're like yeah okay the box is almost like it, it creates an uneven playing field in that three heats run at the box the wind starts to crumble on shore a little bit and we got to move now back to main break and the rest of the heats surf at main break. And I'm wondering, and again, this is just, I'm just grasping here, but I'm wondering if the competitors are like, look, make it one or the other, but don't do three or four heats at the box and then switch it because the tide got weird or the wind got weird and we go back to main break. And, and that could also, by the way, come from the operations and logistics team, which is like, okay, now we've, I don't know if we've got to change up a lot of things and move the whole situation. Uh, or maybe we're just watching the box on video from a judging standpoint, but I sense that, yeah, it's pumping, but logistically and from the vantage of the of the surfers themselves, there might be some discontent about that. I think it's more of the operations team that's probably against it uh, because it is a changeover and it's also downtime. So you've got swell in the water for a limited number of hours. And let's say you have a one hour downtime to move from main break to the box and then one hour downtime to move back. And they're like, look, we've only got so much swell. And by the way, those number of hours that we have this swell are not enough to run the entire event. And so yeah. we need as much of it as we can. And hopefully we'll get a secondary swell that we can, can finish the event. But I think all of that needs to be sorted out because um, look at all the re like the highlight clips that they play from years past is Owen Wright's 10 out there or, you know, Idolo's wave out there. Like those waves at the box are what's the most highlight worthy. It's the most memorable. So and I think in many it's ways, it's a, it's a metaphor for um, what's wrong with the competition format. As we see it now, we yeah. have the best surfers right next to two waves. Which one's the better wave? Everyone would agree that it's the box. Why aren't we sending out all the surfers at the box? And the answer is, of course, because there's too many surfers. If we only had 12 surfers in the event, we could run an insane event at the box. And, and the fact that they're right there in front of us, like literally a stone's throw away, not, not a stone's throw, but a, a very strong throw away. Uh, <laughs> you know, because people use the word literally too many, too much, quite frankly. I'm probably one of them. But, uh, you know, so it's a metaphor, really, right, for what we foresee as the problem is that we're too bulky and we're not um, life enough and sprightly enough on our feet from an ops standpoint to be able to run an event. And we've got a perfect wave. We're all looking at it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that brings us to Kelly because in his post heat loss interview with Stace, he was looking over Stace's shoulder and he actually zoned out and Stace asked him a question or in fact, he said, well, what's next for you? And Kelly goes, dude, I'm just thinking about getting barreled. He goes, sorry, I'm looking over your shoulder and the box is perfect in six feet. And I just want to get out there. Um, so let's talk about Kelly for a minute. And this was actually the most bizarre part of this event to me was that Kelly Slater essentially got, he got cut in this event, full stop. He got 17th place, got cut, from the tour, effectively, Kelly Slater is retired. The WSL had 
zero package. They had zero retirement party. At the previous event, they gave Owen Wright this crazy send-off party with clips package and all this sort of stuff, celebration on the shore. Kelly Slater got zero send-off despite having been retired by the mid-year cut, which I say that it's bizarre, but the reality is the reason why they had none of that stuff is because <laughs> it's all a farce. No one knows. Well I, well, I put it more on Kelly than I do the WSL. I mean, I, Kelly, they're going to, Kelly's going to go, Hey, this is it. Just want you to know in case you're planning something for me, if it doesn't happen here, I'm done. And he hasn't done that. And he won't do that because, um, you know, there are other opportunities for him. And I don't, I just don't think with the Olympics looming that he's prepared to have a, you know, like this big send off. I don't think emotionally you know, like, and not what you're about to lead into is that there are other options for him. But I, I think you got to put it on Kelly. I think uh, I know if I was in the ops team at the WSL, I'd be waiting for him or his people to go, hey, this is it. Just giving you a heads up, put together a package. Why is there zero communication about any of this to the viewer? My point is, if that is the case, the commentator should comment on that being the case and be like, hey, be, well, first of all, the whole marketing around the cut is this adds drama to the tour. We have the greatest surfer of all time who is about to be cut. Not only the greatest, but the longest running professional surfer ever, you know? So oldest world title winner, youngest world title winner, everything. So why would you not utilize all of that to build up the drama for this thing that you designed specifically to have drama surround around, you know? So they need to talk about that going into it. Like this is a huge point that Kelly could be cut and effectively retired. And then if he ends up, if, and then the commentators can talk about that caveat that you're saying, like, Hey, he is cut by the rule book and by the rankings. However, he's got these other opportunities and he may, you know, come back into the fold. I don't think they're going to admit that they designed a rule in March to allow him to now get a wild card and earn points on the world title and just come back and requalify next year. They're not going to admit to that detail, but at least feed into the drama, like feed into the conversation, explain to the listeners what the options are in the back half of the season. They don't do any of it. They ignore it completely. It's bizarre. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's bizarre is it's so much, um, they've almost kind of back their way into a corner that's sort of hard to get out of and they don't want to bring attention to that corner that they're in. And um, I know you've brought it up that there are these backhanded ways that people can get on tour again. Um, Sally Fitzgibbons is a, an example of that. And there are others in the, on the men's side as well. And right now Kelly could be um, a beneficiary of that, you know? And so well, the, it's, rule, the rule was designed for Kelly and Steph in March, knowing that they were on the cut. that That's specifically what it is. It's specifically reserved for former world title holders or top five finishers. That's who the rule is for. Yeah. And it was made in yeah. March because these two people were nearing the cut. So that's what's yeah. suspect. And I'm going to go a step farther and say, how is that not match fixing at this point? You know what I mean? It's one step removed from match fixing. And so, and wow, then- that's a pretty heavy thing to say. I don't mind saying it. It is what it is. And sec and secondly, um, the, uh, uh, I don't know what the second point I was going to say was. 
Oh, and the, the fact that they're not, yeah, but the fact that they're not talking about it, like you said, like, hey, we're not really giving him retirement because he's going to be back in next event. We're going to give him a wild card into the next event and the event after that because Jay Bay and Chopu, by the way, we're going to get, so let's just not talk about it because we're giving him not only access, but then a, allowing him to earn points based on that access. So if that rule is specifically reserved for him, how is that not? preferential t- yeah. treatment. You know well, what I mean? I, I mean, there's only one I, way to call it. I, I would agree with that. But let me ask you this, because selfishly from, um, from a Kelly Slater's fan, which I am, I'm glad, <laughs> you know, like it's, funny. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that I'm glad that Kelly's going to be in the next back half of the tour. And I think he deserves to be from a, from his surfing. He surfed great in this heat, in that last heat, especially. I was a little disappointed in the judging, but totally. my point is he's worthy still. It's not like we're giving some, you know, boxer who's out of shape, you know, a last go around just for the sake of it. Like he, he's worthy, um, you know, maybe not so much at the surf ranch, but for sure at Chopu and Jay Bay, you know, so, but that doesn't make it okay that they've created this no. rule that is sort of, you know, it just, it, what it does is it, t- it shatters a bit of the integrity that you you know you don't want to necessarily tarnish any of that and <clears throat> what's even more interesting that's not being said about this is how do the other surfers feel now i don't think anyone's going to say oh it's lame because it's kelly it's 11 time world champion no one wants to disparage him and frankly i get it i wouldn't want to either but if you're somebody who didn't make the cut that's right there on the cusp um you know, look, the bottom line is you're not the 11 time world champion, so you don't have much to say. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do. I have heard from the athletes and I think that a lot of their complaints, this fits in line with a lot of their complaints. So they're not going to point at Kelly and be like, Hey, he's getting preferential treatment. That's not fair. They have a bunch of complaints that are surrounded around the way that things are being run. And this fits in line with those complaints. Yeah. And, Ke- and Kelly feels like the there's moving targets, so to speak, like moving targets regarding the rules that are just they're They're just they're kind of breathing and the rules are a little too organic. They're not set in stone. Here we go. You know, but yeah. some of them are, you know, exactly. So, yeah, I, you well, know, I get it. It's funny. It's but I funny tell you what. That, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's funny that you said um you're excited. You want him to be able to surf the back half of the season. Cause I put in my notes to ask you, do you want Kelly to compete in the back half of the season? Because my thought was no, Kelly go surf, like go take some time <laughs> off. Let's, let's get real. He is not a threat to the top five at this point. He hasn't been for years. And so putting him into the back wait half minute, of the season, he yeah. is a threat at G at Chopu. He's Check the stats. Check the stats for the last five years. He's not a threat to the top five. Full stop. All right. So, All right. so what I'm saying is, do I do I want Kelly to come surf the back half of the season and try to get 15th place at the end of the year rankings? No, I don't. And not because I don't love Kelly. In fact, it's because I love Kelly. Kelly, go to Micronesia. Go get go to Cloudbreak. Go get great surf that you're not going to get on tour get barreled, take a year off and then come back 
Come back, ne- you know, two years from now, let's say, whatever, like revitalized, refresh, show up for the best events of the year and smoke all the young kids in great surf because that's really what he's, that's what he should be doing. I want him to enjoy life at this point, you know, and I don't think he's enjoying it on tour. And so it's a waste of my, I I don't know. It's a waste of everybody's time to be perfectly honest. Um, and we definitely don't need him at surf ranch. No. Well, you bring up a good point. Actually, I, I'm starting to, I I love the idea of Kelly super fresh, just absolutely ripping, going all over the world surfing and then showing up and just psyched and just ready to, and has nothing to lose and ready to go crazy at Chopu against the young bucks to show him who's still the guy. Kind of like Michael Jordan showing up, you know, for one last run and just going, Oh yeah, I can still drop 56 points on you. No problem. You know? Yeah. So I, I do see what you're saying that, that the grind, if there is such a thing of this tour, um, it kind of wears on him too much and um, he'd be better if we just showed up once in a while and just kind of dropped in like pixie dust and just defeated everybody and then left again and showed back up. <laughs> That'd be insane. Yeah, I get and, it. and I think that if you really think about Kelly's passions in life, one of them is surfing great surf, right? Well, another one is competition, but I feel like the competition part of his passion has waned a lot in the last decade and so he's he's doing it by rote. He's doing it because he did it for 25 years prior to that. But I'm suggesting acknowledge what's going on internally, Kelly. And really your passion is probably getting, you know, surfing great surf. The tour is not providing that for you. Plus you don't have the competitive desire that you once had. So go focus on your passion. And then, you know, when you feel that competitive thing rear its ugly head, go and dive into that for a little bit. And I think that would be the best version of Kelly because we're not getting the best version of Kelly. And as a consequence, I don't think that he's having the best time of his life, you know? Yeah. Well, what did you think about his heat? Because I did think he surfed pretty damn good, but he was much more um, horizontal in his surfing than he was vertical, even though I know he was trying to do carving 360s. And there was that one wave where actually he got past 12 o'clock and hit it at like one o'clock and came back, but kind of didn't flow through the turn with speed, power and flow the way that say John, John or Jordy or Felipe are doing. Um, but I, I saw some grumbling online with some of my friends that are in um, a surf league with me, a fantasy surf league that, that they felt like he got a little bit underscored on that. I don't know what your he, thoughts are. If yes. you remember the heat. I do. And yes, he definitely got underscored. Uh, but Liam O'Brien still won the heat. Liam O'Brien surfed great. I was, I, I was excited about him. You know, I was, he's not normally somebody that's on my radar, but I was pretty psyched on him. No, but didn't he make the final at Rotnest? Maybe, but again, whatever. That's like, you know, well, what I mean, I mean is, yeah, I, he's got yeah. everyone's got the competitive chops to get through a heat, especially a four foot rottenness. But no, but he made the final. I'm pretty sure. And yeah, but my Not point here. is like, there's because we don't have all the machinery of brands marketing everything to us nonstop nowadays. Yeah. He's a guy yeah. who would have benefited from all of that, and he would have been in our awareness. Now it's yeah. like he pops up every year, every year and a half, based on like an incredible contest result. But if his yeah. brand was feeding him to us throughout the rest of the time and putting out edits and, you know, sending him on surf trips and all that sort of stuff, then he would be a top guy. Well, yeah. Maybe he is. I think this actually brings me to my next point. Um, 
if if you want to segue here, I do want to talk about the cut, but we can yeah, go you ahead. Can make your point. Uh, bring first. me back to this. Bring me. Bring okay. me. Well, no, this is going to be a long thing. So. Okay. Well, just set a marker in your mind. Liam O'Brien brings you to your next point. Yeah. Um, right. Just for the record, the cut on the men's side, people who were cut. Yes. Sam Samuel Pupo, Nat Young, Jackson Baker, Miguel Pupo, Kelly Slater, Michael Rodriguez, Maxime Husano, Kaloe Andino, Ezekiel Lau, Carlos Munoz, Jadson Andre, Ramsey Bukayam, and Jake Marshall. Well, all of those I think could could slide into the back half of the tour. You know, maybe not, you know, not all of them, but my point is whatever. It sucks, but and some of those people surf good enough to be, you know, in the top 20 or whatever, but they just didn't get it done. Hmm. And, um, and it's unfortunate. I look at the, the tour now, the guys that made the cut, and I, I see maybe one person who I don't think is really doesn't it. Well, there's a few guys that don't excite me who I just don't think have it, but, um, you know, who's, who's the one I'm happy with the cut. Like I'm not, I don't want to say who the guy is. I don't want to, I don't want to bring him down, but um, there's a guy that I just don't think is, there's a few guys, you know, but again, this kind of brings me to, I would love to just see 12 guys. Yeah. I, I think there's 12 guys that would be super exciting to just see, go at it. Um, and you know, the first day of the swell period when it's pumping and then we see a finals day that's still pumping and it's all good. Well, there's, Two conversations to follow up on here. Kalo uh, Andino was on the cusp. He is officially cut. And so it'll be interesting to see what he does on the Challenger Series. And, you know, because I look at Samuel Pupo and I'm like, Samuel can win the Challenger Series. Like his kind of small wave game. Kalo Andino, yeah. his whole background is small wave game. So he could too. But I don't see the competitive fire that he once had before. Like to actually chase that tour and go battle it out with the Samuel Pupos of the world. It'll be interesting to see if Chloe, you know, has that fire. Yeah, it will be. And I hope he does. And, um, he could certainly do, do it, you know, but I also see Chloe, um, based on some of the stuff we've seen from him recently, it almost feels like he's taking on an elder statesman type of role for some of these younger guys. And I could see him somehow transitioning. I'll tell you what's interesting. I see him, becoming a manager of athletes. Yeah. I see him becoming a guy that, you know, maybe cuts his chops at Wasserman, but probably doesn't even need to because he's seen it all and can be the guy that steps in and starts to manage some of these younger guys from the Orange County area. And, and because he's got the relationships, like I, that wouldn't surprise me, you know, based on what he said about in, in that stab thing about what pro surfers make, what, um, he mentioned some stuff about going on that surf trip and making that movie and having the young guys and they were ripping. And I don't know, I just, again, this is, I'm just, I'm just grabbing here. I don't have anything to base this on other than the elder statesman transitioning into a role as a manager. Then he'll still be making some good money. He's already got a nice little nest egg and, um, and he, and he stays relevant. Any any services the industry that way, you know, like him yeah. shepherding in young people and helping them really make smart decisions for their careers. I think yeah. you're you're absolutely right. Like he would be among the best people qualified to do that job. 
I just feel like it would be a bit premature for him in his career to make that transition. I think he has not fulfilled and achieved what he wanted to on tour yet. So I don't see him taking this lightly. I see him chasing the CS series for at least a year or two or three. And if he gets relegated continually, then maybe he, he considers a secondary career, you know? Well, and I don't think it's a, a one-year transition to this new role. No. If in fact it was, I, I see it as a three-year transition. I see it as, yeah, I'm going to go hard. Uh, in the meantime, I'm going to continue to build up these relationships and sort of forge this concept of this, this you know, uh, Kaloe 2.0, so to speak, a, a career move, and um, tap into the guys like my father and Mike Parsons and just the the wealth of relationships that he has to to move towards that thing. It doesn't mean that he can't also charge hard and maybe make a run at, at the CT again. And in, and in fact, that would actually benefit um, Kaloe 2.0. If he got back on the tour one True. more time, gave it another run. And you know, now he's really got a foundation to be um, an athlete manager, a, a representative. Well, I said there was two storylines about that cut. Um, the other one was, Kanoa Igarashi. Kanoa was also on the cusp last show um, prior to them running this event. He's officially qualified. So Kanoa barely made it through. And then the other one person who I wanted to talk about their surfing uh, at main break was Italo. Italo had the highlight move of the event on a right. It was a massive full rotation backside air. And then in the heat, he lost. He did a massive yeah. frontside full yeah. rotation air on the left, which yeah. I think he only garnered like a 6.67 for. Do you have thoughts yeah. on that score or that heat at all? I I really enjoyed both of those airs. Let me just say that. Like I was excited about them, but they feel like um, the left specifically just, it was kind of what you're talking about with Gabe a little bit. It just feels a little um, contrived. Mm. You know, it doesn't, even though with Idolo, you know that that's what he does each and every day. That's just how he surfs, you know? Um, and I'm not so sure that that fits into the paradigm that is nine point rides on the WSL. Yeah. I, I saw people grumbling about the low score on that air and like, how is it 2023? And they, the judges are not acknowledging these types of maneuvers and I don't think that that's a fair assessment. They gave him the score when he did it on the right because it was a treacherous section over dry reef and he landed in a super sketchy spot and he pulled it off flawlessly. The moment he got up and riding on the left, the wave was not exciting. It was almost like no matter what he does on this wave, it's not as thrilling as the right is, you know? Yeah. And so when he did something spectacular okay, they had to acknowledge it. They have to throw points at it, but it's not yeah. as difficult or uh, intense yeah. as the running, the the right running on the reef. Yeah, you're right. When he took off on that wave, you're thinking to yourself, well, he has to do something spectacular just to potentially get a 6.5 or whatever it was. Right. You know what I mean? Like if he had just gone and done a couple of turns and then a roundhouse cutback, okay, 2.8 you know, or whatever, 3.2 or what, you know what I mean? And so he had to do that just to get to the number that he got to relative to how insane the right was. Right. But it takes out the equation of the wave, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to take off on anything and do what I do. 
And yeah, the wave is a huge factor in this. You want to see thrilling waves. You want to see intense waves. So yeah, nobody's going left for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Let me take a quick break. Oh, okay. Yeah. Scott Bass, athleticgreens.com slash surf. Let me shake it up for the listeners. Hey, AG1, let's face it. Um, we all need some benefits from uh, the nutrition that AG1 gives us, right? I think it has something like, what do I want, 75 vitamins and minerals, and it's all organically sourced. And it's everything you need in a simple six to eight ounce uh, glass of water mixed with the AG1 powder. It's just a wonderful green organic drink. Tastes good, easy to, to power down, and um, boom, you're set for the day with all your green nutrition. Yeah, it's, look, we've talked about it for almost two years now. And so I feel like we've delivered <clears throat> all the details about it. And what I'd like to say with two years worth of hindsight is it's just simple. Like I need things to simplify my life. I like efficiency and effectiveness. And it is the one-stop shop for that. It's a scoop. It's eight ounces of water. It takes 20 seconds. I mix it and I drink it every morning. And it's like, boom, checked, done. I don't have to worry about it again. And even easier than that is you don't even have to go to the store to get it. You sign up once on athleticgreens.com slash surf, and then they ship you a pouch to your door every month. And you can, you can, um, you know, uh, cancel at any time. It's not like a commitment. You can cancel at any time. And they also give you a 60 day money back guarantee when you sign up. So sign up, try it for two months. If you don't like it, cancel. I've never heard from one listener that they've canceled it. Everybody's shared nothing but positive feedback. So, um, risk-free, you know what I mean? But the best of the best, best and, in know, class. Let me add this, um, to David is that my entire family is, a. uh, big fans of AG1. And when I say my entire family, I don't even just mean my family here, the unit at my home, my in-laws and my brothers and his wife and their families, they're all drinking AG1. And oh, by the way, many of them didn't come to it through me. They just came to it because they found it from some other outlet and they love it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so AG1, it's, uh, it's taking it's taking the world by storm and it should because it's just simple health. Yeah, totally. And I think you and I are, we've always been relatively health conscious, but I've taken my health a lot more seriously in my forties and since having a kid and all that sort of stuff. So I appreciate little details like this that simplify everything. So anyways, if you support us, or I mean, if you go through the portal, it does support our work here. Um, they've been sponsors for two years now, I think. And so we would love to keep them forever because we're using the product forever. So athleticgreens.com slash surf. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, 
all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're back. Yeah, you know, yeah, I got it. No. Um, hey, look. So we were talking about Leo, uh, Liam O'Brien. You had me doing a um, segue. And... <clears throat> Bear with me here. I want to hear what your thoughts are, because this is one of those things that randomly popped into this dangerous neighborhood between my ears, and it may or may not make sense. But I feel like um, culturally that that every involved enthusiast surfer from the 1960s has seen endless summer. I feel like if you're a surfer in this from the 60s, you watched endless summer. And I feel like every enthusiast surfer that was brought up in the 70s not only watched Endless Summer, but watched Five Summer Stories and watched Free Ride. Those are, if you're a hardcore surfer from the 70s or 60s, you've watched all of these things, and they were important structurally to the culture. And, and I feel like if it, you're that guy in the 80s, if you're an involved enthusiast surfer from the 80s, you watched Endless Summer, David, and you watched Five Summer Stories, and you watched Free Ride – and you watched Surfers the movie, the great Bill Delaney movie. And I feel like if you were an involved enthusiast surfer from the 90s, you watched Endless Summer. You watched Five Summer Stories. You watched Free Ride. You watched Surfers the movie. And you watched Momentum. Uh, and you watched Endless Summer 2. And I feel like... Every involved enthusiast surfer from the 2000s watched all of those movies, and they also saw Laird's Wave at Chopu. I feel like that was a, a moment, <clears throat> but this was also a moment where we start to move into the internet age, and our our content as a culture is much more diverse. It's it's much more varied. And, and now here we are, the age of information. And I'm not sure that there are any groundbreaking films or videos or edits that stand out the way the previous decades and generations did. And, and sure, there's more of it, for sure. There's a ton of edits and clips. And it, it just seems like <clears throat> the, the content doesn't have the magnetism or the cultural gravitas that it it once had, it doesn't hold the sway on us the way that the past generation's content did of those films that I mentioned to you. There is no groundbreaking, must-see, must-watch stuff from, say, 2005 and beyond that defines us. And I mean, each and every one of us watched it, um, the way that these past movies defined us from past decades. 
So the river of surf culture, David, is wide, but it doesn't flow with the same vigor that it once did. It's rather a gentle stream. It meanders to and fro. And David's streams turn into lakes. And some of them, they just dry up. Now, maybe it's just me. Maybe I've aged out of some of this stuff. I don't know. But I'm telling you, I've watched and I continue to watch Mason Ho, J-O-B, The Stab Clips, Hollywood feature films, um, you know, the HBO stuff. It's all good. In fact, it's definitely higher production quality. But David, is there one piece of content that has driven a stake into surf culture that has firmed up the banks of our cultural river? And here's the thing. If you have to think about it, it probably doesn't really have the type of sway that that past pieces of content did. Can you tell me of one piece of content that has driven a stake and has held the, the banks of our cultural river firm and solid so that the cultural river flows vigorously? No. Not in the last decade or two. There hasn't been one defining piece of a generation. Is that dangerous to our culture? No, I don't think it's dangerous to the culture. I think it's a natural evolution as a culture grows and develops. I mean, the reason why it developed the way that you explained it was there was very few people into it. And so there's a lot of homogeneity in a small subculture like that. So the Endless Summer showed the surfers riding boards that were the only types of boards that were being ridden at that time, essentially. And each example that you gave was a flashpoint for evolution, a lot of them for surfboard evolution, actually, and then the way that surfing was done. And so that widened the aperture a little bit. You know, there's still people riding the boards like the Endless Summer, but now there's people riding boards like Free Ride. And so the it's twice as many people, let's say. And then each film evolution that you said, momentum generation, wow, now that's an entirely different type of surfing. Over the course of four decades, we got to a point where there isn't truly new realms of surfing being done until Laird has the millennium wave. That was totally a deviation. So that captures everybody's attention. I'd say Nazare, while there wasn't one piece of content around Nazare, and 100 foot wave has won Emmys and it, but it came a decade after Nazare had already been saturated into our culture. So that's not a defining piece for Nazare. Maybe in hindsight it will become, but it wasn't in the moment. That was a way of waves being ridden that was a deviation from what we were uh, used to prior, but it almost got so deviant or deviated that it's not akin to our surfing experience anymore. You know, like what they're doing out at Nazare is nowhere near the same type of thing that I'm doing when I go surfing. And it almost feels more like snowboarding to me than it does surfing in a lot of ways. And so I'm less connected to it. But to the original point is it's just grown wide enough and broad enough to where the culture can't really de be defined in one narrow lane anymore. So yeah, I guess you're to your point, like there are, there's less impact for each individual piece of content. It has less impact to the entirety of surfing, but I would make the argument that it's having a larger impact than those original films other than endless summer ever did. Endless summer's probably been viewed by more eyeballs than hundred foot wave, but 
hundred foot wave been viewed by more eyeballs than free ride, I would argue. And, and yeah. I mean, if you just look at one of uh, Ben Gravy's clips or Jamie O'Brien clips, they have a million views on it. <laughs> you know, that's more than 99% yeah. of surf films that came before them. So it's not impactful because they are producing two of them a week, but there's undeniable influence, you know, and, and so eyeballs. So if I was to use the river analogy, though, you it would, I, I, I would suggest to you that what you're telling me is that the river is wide. And it's flowing. It's just kind of a slow trickle. It's not this vigorous, um, powerful river that's driven by one or two flashpoints in the culture in the period. It's now this slow trickle of, yeah, we got Mason Ho over here. We got Stab High over here. We've got, um, you know, whatever over here in a 100 foot wave. And it's just kind of slowly trickling. And it's not this, or is it a vigorous river? Is it a wide, vigorous river? No, it's, it's both, uh, and neither it is. I think it's a fast stream, but it's a narrow stream. It's like the garden hose on the jet setting, you know, where it's, (laughs) it's a narrow or a water pick maybe that the dentist is using because to be perfectly Uh honest, it's not fair to call Mason hose content, a slow trickle or Jamie O'Brien's because they're pumping out like I said, two videos a week. Mason's not, but Jamie. I don't is. mean the content itself, but I mean how the contents affect on the flow of the culture. Well, so it really depends what you're measuring, because Jamie Jamie's audience, you could argue, is not even surf culture, but it's highly it's an intense stream that's highly effective and it's selling tons of product. So if you look at the vast majority of the audience who watched the Endless Summer. Did they ever purchase a board short? And the answer would be no, it was actually a pretty diluted influence. You know, so much of that viewership didn't really engage with the culture. Jamie O'Brien's audience, on the other hand, are buying Stay Psyched t shirts off staypsyched.com. Click smash the like button, you know, right now, kind of a thing. Like that's sort of a, that's almost like a consumerism um, lens that you're putting on it, you know? So it depends what you're measuring. I'm talking more about authentic, um, the enthusiast, not the aspiring guy that's in Kansas or wherever that wants to, you know, do something. Uh, I I think it depends on how you're measuring culture and what is influence in that culture, you know? But I agree with you with kind of your original point, which is, it would be very difficult to put out a piece of surf content right now that that grabs all of us and marked marked a turning point. Let me throw one at you. And again, the problem is, is that I kind of had to think about this. And I think if you have to think about it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't, it's not a marker like we would hope. But when I do think of a piece that, that grabbed most surfers imaginations, um, I might suggest to you that Barbarian Days, a book, believe it or not, might be one that did that. But I I move away from that also, though, because I just don't think that guys over 20, uh, under 25 even read the book. Yeah, you're right. It Everybody was talking about it when it happened, but no more so than everybody's talking about um, how surfers get paid. Yeah, yeah or 100 Wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 
I mean, I was about trying to think. Pipeline masters as a, that's as a concept. I that's like what I was going to say. Masters is one that that is a marker culturally that everyone like kind of wraps their their calendar around and goes, okay, uh, it's December eighth, and this thing is on. You know, but now I, has it lost a little bit of its mojo because it's not the WSL? Yeah, it doesn't I, have the top surfers in the world. Yeah. And that doesn't, that's not one piece of content either. That now becomes like an intellectual property, you know, and, and it's just different. It's a different conversation. Uh, Pipeline as a wave has maintained its cultural relevance and kind of the focal point of the culture all throughout all of it. So I think that's important to note. Um, You know what else I was thinking about? I mean, this might fall into the lens of IP as well. Kook Slams. Kook Slams <laughs> as an account has yeah. has garnered everybody's attention. Like everybody who's into surfing and way beyond that is into that account. And I don't Kook, I'm not. I'm not. I'm actually not. Maybe I'm an outlier. I don't like watching people get hurt. But it's undeniable, like its influence and its um relevance to the culture like people like wipeouts you know and the wipeout sections yeah, it's in not, surf videos. it's not at the level of any of the other things that we've mentioned it's not at the level of endless summer it's not at the level of free ride is it maybe i'm missing it maybe, it's way maybe bigger it's, in certain measures i'm not seeing like eyeballs i'm talking about it is it a pillar of the found of the embankment of the river like is it no no it's a big boat going through the river but it's not one of the embankments um, and it, along that line, board, I feel porn. like it's a weed. I feel like it's a weed that grows out <laughs> through the river. Like, like it's an invasive species, some sort of like reed that really shouldn't be in the river, but found its way into the river. Like it's like a carp, you know, it's like a fish that shouldn't have gotten. It's an Asian carp that doesn't belong in the Mississippi river. <laughs> it's, it may just be the big boulder in the middle that everybody smashes up against. Right. Um, Board porn, board porn to a degree fits into that conversation. But all of these things are just part of the larger, slow moving stream rather than the vigorous, you know, oh my God, did you see Endless Summer, you know, 1967? Well, I think somebody would have to really do something that shifted, the, uh, the content would have to shift the culture and then everybody from that moment on somehow participates in the culture in the way that that content, you know, uh, illustrated it. Yeah. That's kind of what those films were. It's an interesting thing to chew on, but anyway, for me, uh, to be honest, for me, the deviation or the turning point as it relates to like the last film that I really remember being kind of, uh, I don't know, redefining the culture was thicker than water. Like every surf film that I saw before thicker than water, not every surf film, but so many for the decade prior were that Taylor Steele, uh, punk rock music, high performance surfing, fast cuts, no complete rides basically. And then thicker than water was a documentary about traveling the world surfing, which we had seen before, but it incorporated, um, lifestyle it it was an examination of the cultures and the places that they went 
and there was no shortage of high performance or like high quality surfing. There was phenomenal surfing, but the lens that it was told through felt like a travel log as opposed to just highlighting the best surfing ever. And then there was a bunch of films that came after that, that were kind of built in that same vein. But that was the one that I remember personally identifying with and going, man, this represents me and my kind of interests a lot more than, um, you know, Kalani Rob doing that massive front side air at Rocky point in good times. Yeah. I, I just feel like when we move into the two thousands and we start to move into broadband ramping up, I just feel like the whole thing, goes opaque and it's just like, yeah, thicker than water was great. You know? Um, so was riding giants, you know, a feature film that you went to the movie theater to see with your wife or your mom, you know, that was a great movie. Um, was it a cultural pillar? Was it, you know, a stake that you put into the, the embankment of the river to keep the, the foundation firm and tall and let, and letting the river run, it, you know, so I guess you could argue that the river runs vigorously and it's just that the stakes are a lot smaller and narrower and there's just a lot more stakes in the river bank and the river does run vigorous. It's just not one or two massive yeah. stakes that, that drive the river. Well, where does surf podcasting fit into this conversation? It's one of the many tiny, small little stakes that firm up the river. I'm just not sure the river... Um, I think that's what it is. I just think now we just have a lot of small, important stakes that are a part of it that make up um, maybe a, a more varied, you know, culture, a more varied um, web. It's just not one lens anymore, right? Not at all. Of course. Um, did you watch Style Matters? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. I'll send it to you. It didn't really yeah. get a ton of press, um, but Visla is producing the series. And it's, again, a contest series. I mentioned it last week. They're doing four episodes once a week. Part one released a couple of days ago. You could also find it on YouTube. But um, it's only the first episode was only three and a half minutes, so it's not a huge commitment. But it is Jerry Lopez, Thomas Campbell, Craig Anderson, Brad Gerlach and Kai Neville discussing style in surfing. How do you define style? How do you, can you cultivate style? That sort of stuff. And um, in conjunction with this series, they're running a contest and the contest is active now until September 2023. I want to say September 22nd, maybe it is 2023. And uh, you users can submit one clip of themselves surfing And those people that I already named are going to be the judges and they're going to pick the most stylish wave. They're not dictating what you're writing. They're not dictating anything. Just submit a clip and they'll judge it and uh, ultimately pick a winner and the winner gets 10,000 bucks. Wow. I'd like to see like, um, who's my buddy down in Australia? Um, Dave Rostovich. No, Tom, uh, uh, Carol. No, he rides those 11 foot Elias and Olos at Noosa. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, don't know. I can't believe him. I, I know his, his brother's a shaper here in Encinitas. Oh, Wagner. Yeah. Tom Wagner. I'd like to see Tom Wagner submit a clip of him just styling 
down a noose of first point wave or even out further boiling pot or whatever they call it on his 11 foot, 14 foot Olo. Just that would be cool if they somehow included some of that mojo in it, you know, tell him, reach out to him, tell him to submit a clip, submit a clip, Tom Wagner. Come on. Um, I don't know where you do it exactly. I think it's on Visla's website. Um, so this is not an ad for Visla, but let me just, for anybody who wants to get in, it's user, any user. Yeah. Visla.com slash pages slash style matters. Um, Speaking of Visla, have you heard anything in this, in this WSL broadcast about the Shapers cup? Um, no, I heard the update after the bells event, but no, I have not heard anything during this event. What about you? No, I, I, I'd like it if they would talk about it more. I'm a, I'm a fan of surfboards. They did do some surfboard discussion though on the broadcast. I saw Richie Lovett doing some cool stuff. Yeah. You know, one thing we didn't talk about that we probably can't overstate. We should be talking about it a lot more is Molly Picklum's dominance. Molly Picklum's sitting number one in the world right now. And honestly, she's a pipe master now. She looks insane. Like I, we were kind of focused on Caitlin Simmers and some of the other. Molly Picklum deserves all the credit in the world. She's an incredible surfer. She's so well-rounded and her competitive game seems really um, uh, strong, like difficult to beat, difficult for people to find a solve to get past her. So it's really impressive. Yeah, I mean, and look, you're absolutely right. And as long as we're talking about it, I think um, Carolyn Mark's performance is worthy of mention here, too. Yeah. She's been surfing pretty incredible on the backhand. And um, I feel like her backhand's better than her forehand, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, well, the, yeah. the other thing among those kind of younger girls, the box was firing at least one day. I feel like maybe two days. And Sierra Kerr was out there. Betty Lou Sakura Johnson was out there. Caitlin Simmers was out there. Um, I don't know if anybody, if I saw any of the other young girls, but those girls were out there charging and getting legit waves and getting spit out of them. And so this is a point of differentiation with the other females on tour in previous years is when the waves turn on and the contest is not on these girls are paddling out and going for it and that's what we saw with the men's side of the tour for a lot of years but you know we wondered when pipe is firing and the event's not running why don't we see some of these other females out there getting shacked now we are this young crop of girls is bringing it and they've got all the talent so forget about the bravado they clearly have that they have all the talent to actually make waves out there and um that's got to be scary for the elder states women on the tour. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're charging. And I don't even think Sierra Kerr's on tour. Is she? She, no. just, she just happens to be in Australia at the box. Yeah, exactly. Which is incredible. That For was like, her. we saw Aaron Brooks this past year show up in Kandui when the waves were pumping, you know? Yeah. So I sent you some photos recently. Um, <laughs> What got me going is that there's there's been a photo, I think we talked about it. there was a photo of Chopu of the Brazilian surfer Rodrigo Reynoso getting getting pulled over the falls and I was like, that that is almost doesn't even look real. Of course it is real, and I think it's the photo is by Ted Grambeau. 
And I would suggest to you that in some regards, and some, and I think Chaz mentioned this too in a beach grip piece, but is it's in running to be perhaps the greatest surf photo ever. And it's not even a guy riding a wave. He's getting sucked over the falls, but it's such a fascinating photo. And it got me thinking about artificial intelligence and machine learning and photography. And there's been a lot of talk about this, about how um, from an advertising standpoint, you don't need photo shoots anymore. You can just put together uh, a photograph for your, for your, you know, whatever it is, diamond ring or car or whatever fashion specifically, you don't need to hire models anymore. You can just use artificial intelligence and it's a big money saver. And I got thinking about surf photography. What does this mean for surf photography? And maybe it doesn't mean anything, David. Maybe I'm just barking up a tree. But at some point, there are copyright issues. There is sponsorship issues. There is ownership of photograph issues. Will there be enough imagery out there, David, to just ask the machine learning software to create a tubing wave at Pipeline? And for advertising, it's a game changer. For sponsorship, I sent you a photo of me with a Red Bull hat on, you know? And how many times, I mean, this has been something that's been a point of contention for, for athlete managers and the brands and the athletes themselves. We need you to wear our hat, you know? And um, by the way, regarding artificial intelligence, I don't know much about it, but I do know from reading a little bit, and I'm trying to learn more, but it's frankly kind of um, convoluted and hard to understand. But um, there we are only, we are basically in the dial up mode of artificial intelligence. And in about five years, it's going to be exponentially intense what we're going to see from this. And it's at a level that we don't even know. And David, as you may know, a side note, the artificial intelligence community has put a six month pause on developing more artificial intelligence because they're, they're concerned that it's, it's happening too quickly and there's not enough regulation to kind of control this thing. And we, and we don't want this beast to get out of the, the genie to get out of the bottle. Oh, by the way, I, I'm from what I'm hearing, a pause is a stupid idea because guess who's not pausing China, Russia, India, the only people pausing are the Americans. And it just means we're getting passed by, but that's another thing. But regarding surfing and surf photography and artificial intelligence, um, do you have any thoughts on this or is this just a, a topic that right now you and I don't have enough uh, insight to even to even bring it up on our podcast? I, I certainly don't, but I'm also, there's no concern because what's at risk here? You know what I mean? Like I, I suppose there are jobs at risk, but those jobs were already kind of threatened by um, the demise of the magazines and all that sort of stuff. So surf photographers to a certain degree have jobs that they need to be concerned about, but it's not like we are, re we're so much less reliant on surf photography now for our content that if there's, if there's a photoshopped, I know it's not Photoshop, but if there's an AI version of, um, an image that comes out next year and it dupes us all, what is the real consequence there? You know? Right. Right. No, you're right. But let me ask you this. Certainly, it could be suggested that within five years, there's enough podcast content out there that's been transcribed that somebody could put together using our voices and using AI to um, generate content for a podcast. Because God knows you and I talk about the same thing over and over anyways. <laughs> they could probably put together a podcast. And, um, and of course it would be audio only and it would be you and I talking and it wouldn't even be us. 
Well, I love it because that means less work for you and I. If we can just figure <laughs> out how to copyright it and make sure that we're the ones getting I mean, paid the license happen. fee, well, then we need to be the ones who develop it. Let's go ahead and just be first in. We'll protect, we'll trademark it, we'll trademark our voices, yeah. we'll be on the cutting edge of however that all develops, and then we'll be the one to develop the content and people can just listen to our robot I versions bet, of ourselves. I bet we could put out a 30-minute podcast using AI and dupe everybody and no one would know. You know what's funny? It'd be fun. A listener sent me a DM. Um, he put a question into chat GBT, GBT. And the yep. question was, how does the World Surf League um, uh, improve or something like that? Like, how do you make the World Surf, Surf League better? And chat GPT spit back like seven bullet points that were exactly what you and I have talked about for the last eight years. It was yeah. like point number one, run in good surf. Point number two, run in more diverse range of surf. Point number three, have a smaller roster of athletes. It was like shockingly yeah. accurate. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they're onto it. <laughs> they they are onto it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's very interesting. All of it's very, very interesting. Um, and the consequences, I'm not undermining the consequences. I think the consequences are going to be radical for society. Um, I just can't think through you know, the complexities um, of it. A friend of mine is a, one of my dearest friends is a professor at a local university and he's an English professor and he's using um, blue books now for his tests. You, you have to write in, you know, this thing called a pen, like penmanship and stuff that you have to write out your, your uh, essay. No longer are you allowed to turn in a printed essay. And some of his um, associates are having oral exams where you have to come in and talk to the professor and prove that you know the stuff. Um, so there's this going to be, I think, a backlash towards organic content. Like the written yeah. word is actually going to be a big deal. Like you might, you might go to bookstores or wherever and buy um, written stories, handwritten stories. Um, like a, and, it would be like in the way that the first edition of Winnie the Pooh is now worth however much money. It'll be kind of like that going back to the original versions. Yeah. Even more so. We, we, we don't want artificial. We want the real deal. There's going to be like an organic sense to it. Well, so my, I have an uncle who um, he does architectural renderings. And at some point that entire industry, of course, shifted to like, you know, AutoCAD or whatever software they use to mm -hmm. design all that stuff. He never did. He's always done things by hand via watercolor. And because he stuck to his guns, he became like the guy in that space. And so the people who hire him, like he did the Bellagio in Vegas, you know, 30 years ago, whenever they built that, he did San Francisco Terminal 5 when they rebuilt, when they added a new terminal 20 years ago embassy buildings like also tory pines the resort the lodge at tory pines you know like he's done these super important buildings around the world and they pay a crazy premium to have him do it by hand via watercolor and then when they get the building built they hang that thing in their lobby you know on display yeah. for everybody to see yeah. because it's that unique so he works in his garage he does everything by hand he has one client a year or two or whatever it is 
And uh, 99.9% of the industry went down a different trend, but that made his little thing so valuable. And so to the point of your friend, uh, college professor, he's smart to invest and to teach people like, Hey, invest in yourself, develop this point of distinction and uniqueness for you versus the entire rest of the workplace. Cause if you follow that path, you're just going to be replaceable, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. The whole AI thing, it's just it, endlessly fascinating. And, uh, and I'm, like I said, I'm trying to learn about it, but it's difficult. <laughs> it's pretty intense. It's impossible to keep up with because it's just developing at yeah. such a fast clip. By the way, well, I just finished a book that I'm going to recommend called The Spy and the Traitor. Um, it came out in 2018. It's a fabulous Cold War story, true story, nonfiction story of the greatest um, KGB mole in the history of the Cold War. It's really great, great page turning, fun book to read. Crazy. The Spy and the Traitor. Yeah, check it out. Read yep. it. Right on. Well, right. hey, I'm looking forward hey. to the end of Margaret. And um, lots of great surfing content, by the way, on the internet from the last, that run of Swell. Um, I don't know if you saw the stuff from Snapper. Kelly Slater. Oh, yeah. Kelly Slater surfed Snapper with Mick and Joel and that crew um, in the days leading up to the Margaret River Pro when everybody was out at Margaret River. Slater was out at Snapper. I think Surfline just posted a clip yesterday of him and Aki sharing a wave together which is pretty cool. So if you can dig up that footage, I think there is kind of a free surf long form clip on Surfline, but you could probably find them elsewhere too. Um, it's rad to see those guys. So, Yeah. And, and Mick Fanning riding that Pat Ross and uh, the snapboard. Yes. Riding that seven, two or seven, six or seven, eight. I think it's seven, eight. And um, that was pretty cool. Right. That was surprising. And uh, reading Mick's thoughts on that board and how long the rail line is and all of that stuff. And that was really neat. And there's a t and Pat Gudowskis got a great wave out there. And so there's a lot of cool snapper footage. You're right. Yeah, and I'm going to, if we're going to do a kook this week, I'll tell you the people dropping in at snapper. I've seen a number of clips <laughs> of people just absolutely uh, the worst drop-ins and I'm snappers notorious. But I mean, these yeah. are people dropping in on people's heads who are getting barreled. There's a 14-year-old girl getting barreled. I mean, the best barrel, way better than any barrel I've ever gotten in my life. Just like a 10-second tube at Snapper and a dude drops in straight on her head, you know? And there's been a num <laughs> number of other ones too. A full-grown male, like 45-year-old dude who clearly doesn't have any, like he should not be out there. You could just tell by the way he's paddling into the wave. And he drops oh. in on a 14-year-old girl's head. It's just insanity. Oh, he's a vulnerable adult learner. Exactly. A vow. Well, look, David, we've had a, a pretty good show. And we do have Margaret River coming up again, I think, Thursday afternoon, our time, which would be March, uh, April 27th. I think in the late afternoon, they're going to run the final day based on the forecast. So... David, until next time, adios and aloha. I've been warped by the rain, driven by the snow. I'm drunk and dirty, don't you know? And I'm still willing. And I was out on the road late at night. I seen my pretty Alice in every headlight. Alice. 
Dallas Ellis. And I've been from Tucson to Tucum Carey. The hatch of Peter Tone above. Driven every kind of rig that's ever been made. Driven the back road so I wouldn't get way. And if you give me weed, white sand, wine, and you show me a the wind, robbed by the sleet, had my head stoked in, but I'm still on my feet, and I'm still feeling. Smuggled some smokes and folks from Mexico, baked by the sun every time I go to Mexico, and I'm still, and I've been from Tucson to Tucum, Gary. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.